really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. guys, John Anderson here from Yes, sorry, um, Scottish Rugby Podcast, put my other hat on, um, just here to say congratulations David, 100 episodes, an amazing achievement, uh, I'm delighted I've been part of just a tiny wee bit of that with you, and uh, here's to 100 more, you're doing an amazing job promoting the, the game of rugby across the pond, and fingers crossed we'll have lots of people to chat, uh, chat rugby union with you in due course, go free jacks, uh, congratulations again, dude. Hi, it's Harry Barlow from the New England Free Jacks. I want to say a massive congratulations to Scrum of the Earth podcast for reaching 100 episodes. Keep up the good work. You're doing great stuff for the game in America. And uh, yeah, huge congratulations. Hello, this is Lee from the Blood and Mud podcast. I just want to say a huge congratulations to the 100th episode of the Scrum of the Earth podcast. Great stuff, great work. Keep going. This is Nicola from Edinburgh Rugby Fans Group. Just wanted to say a huge congratulations to the Scrum of the Earth podcast on 100 episodes. Here's to the next 100. Hello, I'm Alex Magleby, CEO of the high-flying, free-spirited New England Free Jacks. Congratulations to our friends at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on reaching the century mark. Best of luck, David, in your next 100 episodes. Go well. It's not easy to get to this point. So a very hearty congratulations. Let's ride. Hi, this is Craig Manson from the Scottish Rugby Podcast. Just messaging to say congratulations to the Scrum of the Earth podcast for their 100th episode. It's been great to be a very, very small part of this podcast and I hope I can be back on soon to spread prop love around the world. Cheers and be well. Hi there, this is James from MLR Stats and I just want to congratulate uh, the Scrum of the Earth podcast for 100 episodes. Here's to many, many more. I'll... um... I'll be sure to do a longer video at 500. Hey, this is Elena from Extra Cheese for Change. Congratulations to our friends on the Scrum of the Earth for reaching 100 episodes. Here's to the next 100. Hey, listeners, Tom Connolly here, Performance Director for the New England Free Jacks. Uh, massive congratulations to the Scrum of the Earth podcast uh, and massive uh, Free Jacks supporter as well um, in reaching 100 episodes. Awesome achievement. Keep up the great work uh, and uh, enjoy. Josh, I'd like to congratulate the Scrum of the Earth on their 100 episodes. Really great episodes. I think I've listened to every one of them. So, yeah, congratulations and keep it going. Dallin Stanford here, World Rugby commentator, former US Eagle. I just want to congratulate Scrum of the Earth on 100 episodes. That is an outstanding achievement. You sleek sensations. Continue the brilliant work. Love what you do. My name's Rachel. I play for Watsonians Women in Edinburgh. I'd just like to say congratulations on the 100th episode of the pod. Huzzah, David. This is Phil Harris here at the Jacks Rangers Show. Just wanted to say congratulations on reaching 100 episodes. What a milestone. Super impressive, man. Keep doing what you're doing. And 94 of those I'm not even in, so we got to pump those numbers up. Congratulations once again, and huzzah! Woo!
Hello, this is Will Owen from the Squid Rugby World Cup Retrospective, and you are listening to the 100th episode of the Scrum of the Earth podcast. I'd like to congratulate David on 100 episodes of his wonderful podcast, and if you haven't already, please do listen to the other 99 episodes of that. And David, uh, uh, I've sent you my bank details, so you can send me the $50 for saying that last bit. Thank you, and enjoy. <laughs> Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby union. As always, I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, I'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast, and you can always just send me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. Well, friends, we have made it. This is, as you heard right at the top, our 100th episode. Can you believe it? And so for a very special bonus episode today, I am exceptionally privileged and pleased to welcome USA Women's Eagle number 41 and Hall of Famer Jan Rutkowski to the podcast. Jan was a world-class player, coach, and mentor over a long and storied rugby career, and I'm lucky to call her a friend as well. Jan, it's been quite a while since we've actually seen each other, uh, you know, de facto in person. Are you and yours all safe and well right now? Uh, yeah, yeah. So far, I've managed to dodge COVID, so I'm wow. happy about that. Yeah, you, you, and I might, <laughs> you and I might be the two left. Yeah, I keep reading how the numbers are dwindling on those of us that have it. And, you know, I'm super competitive, so I take it as a challenge to, uh, <laughs> to not get it. Yeah, I'm, I actually, both my partner and I kind of assume we probably did get it and just were asymptomatic because it almost doesn't make sense to have not had it by now. Yeah, I guess that could be true for me too, but to my knowledge, I've not had it. Well, uh, it's great to see you again, and uh, I, I mentioned just before we started that you're wearing a really great jersey that I've never seen before, a nice USA uh, jersey, and you mentioned there's actually a story behind this. Yeah, yeah, there is. So it's a, a USA uh, women's rugby jersey from the 2014 World Cup, and at least as I understand it, it was the first year that they, uh, they embroidered a cup on the jerseys. Oh. Of, the people, of the nations that had won a World Cup. So um, one of my teammates from 1991 went to USA Rugby and said, well, since we're responsible for that cup being on that jersey, uh, we think you should give us all that jersey. So, so she went to bat for us and she's really good at it. And she got us all, secured us all a jersey. Wow. Um, you know, it's a great design. It's a great design. The, uh, the, the current kits, I'm not, I have to say, I'm not, that, I'm not a huge fan of the current Eagles kits for the men or the women. Yeah, I haven't studied them very closely, but I, I did watch the women play last weekend and they, they didn't stand out to me. No, they're kind of co- coffee cup-ish. They remind me of like a 90s to-go cup a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are, are you talking about the game where we beat Australia? Yes, I am. I'm shocked. That, that was something. That was something. I anyway. Was uh, so... I'd like to start by just saying that I am always going to be deeply indebted to you for basically explaining rugby to me when I first discovered it, was trying to sort of figure out how things work. Um, uh, there were many days when I'd just be kind of annoyingly hanging around your cubicle or your, your work area and you'd be like, okay, what's your question? <laughs> but that was, that was fantastic for me. I got all, obviously you answered all of my questions. Um, for the listeners, Jan and I did work together at a small college outside of Boston that also happened to be your alma mater. And, uh, 
during the time we worked together, you were actually inducted into the school's Hall of Fame as well. But that was yes. for your athletic accomplishments before you ever even played but played rugby. Um, am I right remembering it, it was basketball that was your main sport in your college days? Yeah, basketball and softball. Okay. Um, I would have played field hockey too if they had a team, but I tried and failed to start one. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, those, those were my three sports in high school. And I, you know, hope to play them again in college, but I played what was in front of me, basketball and softball. So yeah, that's, that was why I was inducted. So if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you about some of the stories that you've told me over the years we worked together. Um, I'm thinking of that, you know, that the time you first played rugby, you told me, if I remember right, it was something like some, some friends just said, Hey, do you feel like coming to play rugby with us today? And you were like, well, that sounds like a terrible idea, but decided to go anyway. Am I, am I anywhere close to the truth on that? Yeah, quite close, actually. Um, so as I said, I played sports, you know, most of my life up until that point. And after I got out of college, in, the, in those days, there weren't a lot of opportunities for women to play team sports, right? So I um, managed to find a rec league basketball team. And I was doing that for a little while. And somewhere along the line, there was a woman who played rugby for Boston Women's Rugby. And she, she did try to get me and a, a friend of mine who I also played with in college, played basketball with in college, to try to play. And we thought she was nuts. <laughs> we had, you know, personally, my, my only view into rugby was, you know, probably the opening of the worldwide wide world of sports. If you remember that oh, show, yeah, yeah. you know, they would have sort of, you know, the thrill of victory, agony of defeat montage at the beginning. And, and in there was some little rugby segment with some poor guy just getting creamed by everyone. It looked like <laughs> that's what it looked like. And I thought they were kind of nuts, but um, so I declined at first. And then a little bit later on, there was another friend who had over the weekend gone to a rugby match between Beantown, which would ultimately be the team I played for, and Smith College, um, which she had a connection to. And at that time, Smith, or not just Smith, but a lot of college sides were really club sides. Mm -hmm. Like you didn't have to be like a full-time student or any of that kind of thing. So anyway, she had been to an event between Beantown and um, Smith and she knew some of the people on Beantown. And so she suggested that if we're gonna, if we wanted to try this, why don't we go to a Beantown practice? So me and her and the woman that I went to college with, we all went off to this Beantown practice. And, um, and that's kind of how I got started at it. And to be honest, I had no idea what was going on. Like I remember being in the practice and we were practicing lineouts, and it was in, you know, in that like 15 minutes of doing lineup practice that I realized all the different ways that you can be offside <laughs> or, and maybe not even all, just some, some of the ways you can be offside. Um, and it was mystifying to me, but it was, it was, you know, it was kind of worth, worth continuing that weekend. You know, they tried to get us all new kids and everything to come and, you know, play that weekend. And I, you know, that's, I need to see it first. You know? So, <laughs> So I, I deliberately didn't bring anything that I could use to play. I didn't bring any athletic anything, no mouth guard, no cleats, no nothing. And I, sh I showed up to watch this game and, you know, the pressure continued to try to get you to go in the game because, you know, in all honesty, I did come to learn that throwing you in and that's the best way to learn it, mm. you know, but at, at the time, that's not what I was, wasn't ready for that. So, yeah, yeah. so I went and I watched and despite the fact that two to three people got carted off the field and, you know, probably blood gushing and God knows what all else. I actually did return to practice and I ended up joining Beantown. Um, that was in the spring of 1980. Oh, wow. And, um, and I, I joined that crew and it was, it was really great. It was really, really great. And I, I came to learn a lot later that 
I assumed that everybody who was there that wasn't me already knew how to play. Mm. But it turns out that they had only up until that point typically had one side, maybe maybe 20 players on their team, but they had a huge recruiting effort and probably close to half of the people there were as new as I was. Oh, wow. You know, and so it was their first time having a second team and all that. And um, but I didn't know that at the time. I just felt like, you know, a lost little lamb and who knew nothing, uh, (laughs) but was, you know, giving it a go, you know, kind of a thing. Well, uh, before I ever actually saw, you know, I had been watching rugby on television, but people always said seeing it in person is just a different animal altogether. Um, when you're there and you you see the contact up close and you you can hear the bodies colliding, uh, it's just a different experience. And of course, the, the first time I went to, it must have been, a I think, a Kara Cup match for the sort of nascent Free Jacks, where they had sort of semi been formed, but weren't really in the league officially yet. Um that is absolutely what blew my doors off. And uh, I remember coming back to you and saying, boy, if you want to play this sport, you really got to love the contact. And you were like, yep, that's exactly what I like. Do you remember having that conversation? I do. I do. And um, I think that, you know, the first time for me, and I think a lot of women in a collision like that, either making a tackle or being tackled, it's kind of, uh, I don't know, empowering, I guess, you know, you, Mm. Like you don't grow up doing that, at least not anyone of my age did not grow up doing that. And you, uh, you know, you, you get hit and you, you know, take inventory and you're fine and you get up and you do it again or you hit somebody and you think, yeah, you know, I just took them down and you just want to do it over and over and over again. And um, I remember also in my at least in my first season, although this could have extended further, um, I didn't really know the rules. You know, like I said, they throw you out there before you can possibly understand what you're doing. And um, I didn't know if the ball was on the ground, could I pick it up? Like I I didn't, there was just so much I didn't know. So I would just kind of get there and wait for them to pick it up and then hit them. And, (laughs) and, And if they passed it, I would just keep chasing all the way down the line, whoever they passed it to and just get whoever that was kind of like how I played rugby. My first season was just, and they had, they put me at flanker. So it kind of made sense. Like that's what you do. Right. I would just run across the field and hit whoever I could catch up to that had the ball. And if it was on the ground, wait for them to pick it up. So you, your first position was headhunter. Yeah. Yeah. It, unknowingly. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I would love to, you know, take you back to those early days. Um, yours, as my listeners probably already know, you're somebody who's played in the first two women's world cups, but before that, there's the incredible story of Wyvern, which I knew nothing about until just recently when I was I found this great article that you had sort of pointed me towards. Um, for listeners who haven't heard of Wyvern, I'm just going to quote from the intro from that very article, which of course is linked in the show notes. It said, 30 years ago today, this article is from a little while ago, a, whirl, a whirlwind hit women's rugby in Britain and to a degree France. 36 Americans arrived for a two-week rugby tour of England and France and changed the game forever, unquote. You, you were a part of that group and that tour. Can you talk a little bit you know, about how that came about in the first place, how you got involved and uh, how that tour went for you? Yeah, sure. Um, well, you know, this was before there was a USA women's rugby team. And uh, there was uh, this you know, rumor, no social media, no email, no texting, none of that kind of stuff. There was this rumor of some guy in the Midwest named Pat Foley, who I think was affiliated with the Chicago women's rugby team, mm-hmm. who was putting together this group to go overseas. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just knew that I want, you know, those of us on our team in Beantown, oh, we got to get on, we got to get in on this. How do we get in on this? Like we didn't have that connection of, um, 
you know, being in the Midwest, mm. so you wouldn't know us, but, you know, we played for a team that had won the national championship before. So maybe you would hear of us. So I don't know. It, I think it comes down, came down to maybe somebody putting in a good word for you kind of a okay. thing. And then once one of your teammates was in, maybe they put another good word in and eventually somehow, some way I, I did get invited to go on this tour. And um, we went in the fall of uh, 85 and um you know, many people will refer to it as sort of a precursor to the national team. Hmm. And, and in reality, a lot of people who were on that tour were on, did make the U.S. team once it was formed and yeah, were yeah. on the 91 World Cup side. Um, so I think if there was something like 34 or actually you just read something that said 36. Yeah, that's what this article um, said, though. That there's a few things in the article that also imply that they aren't exactly sure about every single detail. Yeah, well, that might have included like the the pat and maybe a trainer or something. I don't know, right. but anything that I could find looked like we had 34 players on it. And um, I don't know, it was, it was something else, you know, but I, you know, for me, I felt like a couple of things. One, and this is like kind of dusting off some cobwebs going way, way back in the <laughs> way back machine. And, um, you know, I think I felt like uh, it felt sort of like at the beginning, like a business trip for me. Like huh. this, this is, you know, this was something big. This wasn't just some jolly good fun kind of situation. Like, you know, it's kind of, I felt like I wanted to prove myself. I wanted to prove I deserved to be there. That, mm. you know, wasn't, uh, I wasn't wrongly invited, you know, kind of a thing. And um, so I think at first I kind of approached it like that. And, you know, in my youth, I was like deadly serious about rugby, deadly, deadly serious about it. So all the on the pitch stuff was all like, you know, super serious to me, but also I was very loyal to my team. So here I was playing with all these people who were teammates there, but they weren't back home. Oh, okay. So it was kind of like, you know, you wanted to put your best foot forward, but you didn't want them to learn your tricks, <laughs> you know, for when you went home and had to compete for a national right. championship against them. Um, so, so it was kind of, I think I approached it kind of like a little bit I don't know, delicately, I guess, like that. But but the playing was, you know, great. It was great to play with such good players from, you know, one to 15. Um, rugby was in its infancy over, over in England and I, I think France too. But, um, you know, and we just beat everyone, like just beat them substantially. Like yeah. I, I don't even remember what the closest game was. It, probably the closest victory might've been by 20, you know. Wow or something. Was that um, a surprise? Did you go over there thinking, oh, this is the, you know, the birthplace of rugby. They're going to really show us something. And then it turned out to be the opposite. You know, I'm not sure we really knew, but yes, I mean, that certainly crossed our minds. My mind for sure is, you know, that this was a rugby country you know? yeah. and we were not, you know, kind of a thing, but, you know, I, I think in the end we, we had been playing rugby longer, mm. you know, in our country than they had over there women's rugby right women's rugby and um so i think that made the difference and i actually think that that trip the usa going over there like we did probably did a lot to help grow rugby in england mm. you know i think you know we 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 played um you know i'm trying i was trying to look through some notes to see did we play regulation length matches or not i don't really remember mm. um but i think in the first game which we won 44, nothing. I think that I, I did look up some notes on that. And I realized that, oh, there were no goalposts on the field. 
So there were no conversion attempts. So I was wondering about that. Yeah. So 11 tries, none converted. Well, none taken either, you know. Oh, okay. So, um, so it could have been a bigger score, I guess, is maybe what I'm saying. Uh, well, the, the little bit I read se- um, seemed to imply that you all were already had discovered the weight room and would be lifting weights and doing all these extra bits of training while the, the sides you were facing were like, what? Lift weights? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that actually is true for me. I didn't, you know, I played sports all my whole life and I never started lifting weights until I started playing rugby. Mm. Um, you know, not really, I mean, feeling like it was necessary, you know, to keep up with these people on my yeah. team kind of a thing. But um, I did want to say something else about that. Why going to Oh yeah, I got some really fun stories from that. But um, you know, we were we were in France at the time. Oh, I'm gonna go back. Let me go back. Sorry, I'm going out yeah, of yeah. order. One of the things that we did do while we were in England is they had a they had some kind of a tournament, which I think might have been the first of its kind ever, you know, there. And we we entered the tournament, we split into two sides, and we entered this tournament. And in in 10 minute half games, this is what they played, oh, wow. 10 minute halves which is, you know, barely time to break a sweat. We, right. were, we, we were winning by 50 points in these games. That's amazing. In 10 minute halves. It was, you know, like a track meet, like receive a kickoff score, receive a kickoff score, just nonstop like that. But what ended up happening is, and I think this got us into a bit of hot water, was that I think we may have promised that we would play it to the end, even if we had to face each other. And, oh. when, it, and when it came time to do that, we didn't. We decided we didn't want to play really? each other. Because we were we were a team and we didn't want to play each other, so we didn't, and we dropped out. And you know, some other teams played in the final. Oh wow, that's that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, there's that loyalty you were talking about, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, that's right along with my personality for sure. Well, the uh, this this same article um, it talked about one of the first problems that you encountered, which was simply what to call this group. Um, so, quoting from the article, it said, "quote." They did not have uh, they did not have the support of the U.S. Rugby Union, whose only contribution was to withhold the name Eagles or even United States. Unquote. Uh, so in the end, uh, as you mentioned, Pat Foley uh, came up with the name Women's International Vagabonds, Emissaries and Rugby Nomads, which resulted in the convenient acronym of Wyvern, which I think is a pretty fantastic name. Um, w- did you feel, you know. Was it frustrating to know that you were sort of being, these things were being withheld, like you were a de facto national team, but, oh, no, 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 you're not allowed to mention the United States. You're not allowed to mention the Eagles. Or did, did you even care about that? No, I, didn't, I don't think I even thought about it at the time. I mean, you know, in hindsight, looking back from here, I could be outraged, of course. But, um, <laughs> but um, at that time, you know, I just cared about the playing. I didn't care mm. about how it happened. I just, I don't know. Like, there wasn't a U.S. team, so... I didn't expect anything, I think. I see, I see. You know. Um, it's not like it existed and then they took it away for you guys or something like that. Right, right, exactly. So there was somebody else on that team that I know you knew very well who sadly passed away just about six months ago now. I know that must have been a big deal for you as well. The, the incredible Kathy Flores was a part of that team. Is that how you first met her? Or did you already know her before Wyvern? No, I did, I did already know her. Um, she, uh, she played for Florida State or FSU, as we called them back then, they were like, again, a club side, but playing out of a college. And they were like, you know, one of the top teams in the country. You know, they were like really impressive. Beantown, once we burst onto the national scene, we started to compete with them and we would mm. play them 
I don't know, sometimes four times a year, like um, you and sometimes for the the national championship or, you know, we go to these different tournaments and play each other. It was like a whole nother national tournament because the top teams were there and stuff. But, you know, I I came across her there and, um, you know, she was she was like the leader on that team. I I, I don't even know. I think she might have been they seem to be self-coached. So maybe she was coaching them, but she was, you know, she was formidable. You know, she she not only as a player, but as a leader, like you'd go play them at some tournament and they'd have, you know, the usual band of great players, but then some new kid you never saw before. And she could get like the game of their lives out of these players, you know, that you would think, Oh, you know, maybe that's a weakness. Cause yeah. yeah. Kid, you know? And um, so she was really, really strong in that department. And I think I came to find out later that we were very much alike in a lot of ways, mm. just in terms of like, how serious we were about rugby and we played the same position and um, I don't know, just, just a lot of things. Like she, I, I found out later. She was like your long lost twin. Yeah. She was my long lost twin. And, and, and in a way we had to, it, not in a way we definitely had to, once we started participating on all-star teams together, you know, I, I would have to change my position if I wanted to get on the field with her oh. because she was always going to get picked ahead of she me. Was you know, kind of wow. thing. And um, so so yeah, so the, and and that was really great. Once I once I started doing that, I, I would play lock, and she played eight, and it was just really, you know, instead of never being able to play with her because we played the same position, you know. Yeah, yeah. I got to actually play on the field with her, and she was she was pretty pretty brilliant. Uh, that, that turned into a, a lifelong friendship. I, I understand. I, I remember. Uh... Anyway, uh, I wanted to, I didn't want to mention somebody as incredible as Kathy Flores and then just roll on past it. Uh, you must have some amazing memories and some amazing stories about your friendship with her over the years. Yeah, I, I do. I, you know, I have to say that, you know, in the early years, I think I partly mentioned this in general that, you know, I was like very serious about my rugby and these people were teammates in certain settings. But, you know, my loyalty was to Beantown and uh, and they were the enemy to Beantown. So, yeah. so I, you know, I think I always... I always kept them at a little bit of a distance, kept people at a little bit of a distance, even when I was playing with them. But, you know, so for me and Kathy, I'd say that when we really became friends was, um, well, first we were like competed against each other playing Mm. and then we competed against each other as coaches. Oh, wow. And some, uh, somewhere along the line, uh, she was named the USA women's rugby coach. And somewhere around 2003, she asked me to join her staff and help coach the developmental side. Oh, wow. So USAA, I guess, is what they called it. So so I'd go to camps with her and Candy Orsini. Candy was her backs coach at the time. And um, and, some, and we'd go on these trips, and we were sometimes the only adults in the place. You know, the rest <laughs> of them were players. So we hung out a lot, you know, drank wine together. And just that, that's where I'd say we really became friends, friends, you know. Mm. Like before that, we were friends, but with this kind of backdrop of being competitors, you know, yeah, yeah. You were, sort of a thing. You were, and, um, you were, you were frenemies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we did that. Um, I did that with her till through sometime in 2007. And, uh, but so then by then we were friends, you know, she stayed at my house. We've, you know, we've gotten together, especially when she, when she moved out to the East coast to coach at Brown. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we definitely became friends and, and, you know, frankly, it was pretty devastating to lose her. And I think the, uh, especially, you know, the 91 team is, 
over the years, we've, you know, kept some good connections and done some reunions and some Zoom calls and things like that. And, you know, she's the first of us to go and was, you know, the whole lot of us is pretty devastated about the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, when you and I talked just recently, you sort of hinted at the, the dominance you showed over that, uh, that initial tour of England and France. And you already mentioned uh, that first fixture was a 44 point shutout with 11 tries. Um, and thank you for explaining the, the no conversions there. I was kind of staring at those numbers and scratching my head. Um, <laughs> but uh, an interview with one of the English sides that you played against pointed to a, a few players from the second fixture as, as being especially noteworthy, including, like you mentioned, Ka uh, Candy Arsini, Kathy Flores, Morgan Whithead, and Chris Harju. You must have memories of all of them as well. Um, who, who did you look up most to in that group? Um, you know, I, you know, I, I felt like, uh, now I'm going to sound like a broken record, I guess. Like, I felt like they were my peers. Okay. Right. So I didn't specifically look up to them. I mean, I certainly respected them all as great players, but, um, you know, I, I just didn't, that's not the, just not how I looked at it. You know, they, they were, like I said, great. I respected them and all that and happy to play with them, but I, I didn't put anybody on a pedestal. So the next international competition that came along was held in New Zealand in 1990. Um, this was still obviously several years before professionalism had come to rugby anywhere. Um, so how did you and your teammates manage to get yourselves to the other side of the world to compete in this, in this, this competition? Well, you know, that, uh, that tour came together very, very late. You know, I, I think I remember we went in, I was gonna say late August and early September. And I think in the summertime, like in July, it still wasn't finalized yet. So it really came down to um, whoever could get the time off from work and afford to go in, from the player pool, you know, from the U.S. pool. Because by that point, there was an official U.S. women's team, Okay. Um, which we can go back to afterwards. But um, that, that had been playing one off you know, just once a year for since 1987. So oh, wow. it was a player pool at this point. And um yeah, if you had the money and you had the time off from work or, you know, maybe you didn't have it, but we're going to take it anyway, um, <laughs> which I think is maybe what I did. I don't know. But um, yeah, and, you know, we we uh, gosh, I wish I could remember remember more details about it, but we were hosted. Um, me and another teammate were hosted in, by this young family, which was really great. Stay in their houses and stuff like that. So that cut down on the cost a little bit because oh, yeah. we didn't have to pay for hotels. Um you know, I don't actually remember how many how many games we played there, but I do know we played international matches. We played uh, New Zealand for the very first time, uh, the Netherlands, and Russia. Oh, wow. And I think that we maybe played some against some provincial sides like a Canterbury or something like that because we were based oh, wow. in Christchurch at the uh -huh. time. Um, but beautiful country, and I've been dying to get back there since. I mean, in my retirement, that's one of the places I want to go to, but I've been, you know, put off by international travel lately, yes. so, <laughs> um, but, you know, hopefully sometime soon, um, I'll be able to get there, but yeah, that was, that was, you know, I was already a fan of New Zealand rugby in general at that point in time, so it was kind of really special to be in New Zealand to play rugby and to play against um, the women's team there, which of course, I'm sure was not known as the Black Ferns at that point in no, time I either. I, I mean. so. Did you actually go see any rugby there too, apart from the, the matches you were playing in? Was there also, you know, New Zealand matches you were going to? I think, I think we did manage to go to one, 
match that might have been not the what's the provincial championship they have there? The it's called the NPC now. Yeah, yeah, that competition, whatever it was called at the time. I think we might have been able to go to a match for that. And I, if, I don't know. The, my memories are a little fuzzy. They at some point in time they put at the end of the event they put together a a sort of all world team oh, wow. to play to play against. I think it was New Zealand women. Um, and so it was, it was players from all the different teams, the international sides that were participating in this event got together and played. And I'm pretty sure that there was a men, there was one of these provincial matches either before or afterwards, but I do oh, okay. remember seeing um, Wayne Shelford, who was the New Zealand number eight at the time. Oh, wow. Um, he went by Buck Shelford. I think he played in that particular game. It was kind of cool because, you know, the big people I'd seen on TV, like when I watched the, uh, 87, which was the first men's world cup, you know, watch that. And New Zealand won that and he was on that team and yeah, we played the same position and it was, you know, Oh, wow. It was just super cool and a little, you know, about a kind of <laughs> thing for me, you know? Um, but no, you know, it was, it was, it was, there was a lot of rugby playing packed in. So uh, we didn't really get to do a, a whole lot else. I don't think, except for, I do remember that we, a bunch of us went to do a laser tag thing. I, I've never done laser tag in my life and um, before or since. And, um, but I will, I will tell you this: you don't want to play laser tag with a bunch of rugby women. <laughs> like, I was going to um, say. The or really any game. People that competitive don't play Pictionary even, you know, it's just, it's just not a good idea. <laughs> well, so this, this might be a strange question, but the fact that it was just so difficult to even participate to, to, you know, like you say, either just leave work or try to get the time off, get yourself all the way to a place as far away as New Zealand. The, these factors that made it so difficult, did that make it sort of more important to you and the rest of the players? Did it make it more, um, I don't know, special, something you were even more proud of because you were able to sort of sacrifice in order to do it? Yeah. Yeah. I do think so. And I, I, I and plus I think there's kind of like a, I mean, this is probably not the right saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. A misery loves company kind of thing where you're <laughs> you're all in this situation together. You've all made the sacrifice and it kind of bonds you, mm. you know, in a way that if it all came easy and money was thrown at you left and right, it might not it might not be so special or so bonding. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't and, you know to go to New Zealand, too. It's like, a you know, it's like a two day flight kind of like, yeah. Uh, on the way out, well, you lose a day, and on the way back, because we went um, west to California first, and on the way back, you—it's the same day twice. Which one of our <laughs> one of our teammates, who was her birthday that day, so she got to have her birthday for pretty much two days in a row. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, all, she, was, she was in a, an aluminum tube the whole time. <laughs> well, we we had a um, on the way out there. I think it was we had a short layover in Hawaii. I think oh, we wow. had to refuel or something. But we we all got off the plane and everybody just got into whatever groups they could get into. It took cabs to the ocean and everybody just like jumped in the ocean. Some wow. people in the clothes they were wearing, some people in their underwear. People came back to the flight wearing like Hawaiian shirts they bought at some shop on the beach because they, you know, they jumped in the water with their with their clothes. And we figured, well, we're in Hawaii. I guess that's what yeah. we should do. Um, so there was kind of like fun shenanigans, if you want to call them that, going on as well. Well, uh, it was only a year after that when the first Women's Rugby World Cup actually took place. Uh, I'm a bit shocked to, to read that it wasn't until 2009 that the body that we now call World Rugby retroactively acknowledged this and the 1994 tournaments as actual World Cups. 
Um, the 91 one was, uh, was held in Wales. You would ultimately win the whole thing, taking down England at Cardiff Arms Park. Can you tell us about that experience? It must have been unbelievable. I can't even imagine. Oh, yeah. It was, um, well, you know, well, first of all, we always thought it was the World Cup. When we went to the World Cup, it was the World Cup. When we won it, it was the World Cup. And, you know, yes, it matters to be officially recognized, but, you know, it was, it was, as far as you're concerned, we'd already done it, you know, kind of thing. But what, what I will say about is we were based in Cardiff. We were right in a hotel right across the street from Cardiff Arms Park. And, um, and it was this, this, this hotel that had this big front lounge kind of a thing. We used to call it the living room because, you know, we, it, we pretty much were the people in the hotel was kind of like our whole party. And there was like a, this living room, we had meetings there, we had therapies, you know, like uh, physical therapy sessions there, taping happened there, like we met there, we had drinks there, um, there was a bartender there, we became friends with, I, I think his name was Tony, if, I, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. And um, Typical Welsh name. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, maybe he was one of my people since I'm half Italian. Um, but also our head coach, which I, I should talk about him a little more and maybe I, I will a little later, mm. but Kevin, Kevin O'Brien was the head coach of the women's team at the time. And he also happened to be my first coach at Beantown. Oh, wow. And he was from Cardiff. So, oh. so when we showed up in Cardiff, you know, he was like a celebrity in a way, cause he was from there. Oh. And he also had, was there with his newborn daughter who was maybe a month old. Oh my gosh. Um, he now, she's now fully grown, obviously. And he refers to her as our mascot. But um, so so he was there and, you know, because he was I don't know if it was just because he was there, but there was lots of press, lots of, you know, Cardiff man makes good kind of a thing. And mm. so he was a big celebrity there. And so we were, too. And um, it was kind of cool. You know, we, we I think we were there for two weeks. Probably these days you'd be longer. But very first one, you know, people still played multiple games. You know, yeah, you played yeah. tournaments with four games on a weekend when we were home. So, you know. Oh my gosh. We, you know, it wasn't like play once a week kind of a situation like it is now, but um, uh, I remember things like, um, like we had various events that got set up, like a tour of Cardiff Arms Park that also uh, include a tour of, like they have a, a Welsh rugby museum attached to it, at least back then. I think they have a new stadium now, but um, so we got this tour and we got this old Welsh guy taking us around and there's all these you know, big frame pictures of caps from Welsh guys, you know, from years gone by. And it was really, really interesting and, and really fantastic. And um, we also had the opportunity to have like a parade of nations. There was some big competition. I wish I could remember what it was, but, it, you know, huh. there was something big going on uh, at Carter Farms Park, some semifinal day. And um, our whole living room was taken over by fans of those teams. Oh, wow. And, uh, but, but during that game, we were all there and we got to do like a parade of nations around the track at wow. halftime of the game, which was, oh my gosh. you know, felt really cool. Um, it, so, it occurs yeah. to me, it occurs to me with a, with a Welsh coach too, once Wales were sort of out of it, the Welsh fans were probably able to get behind you a little bit in your effort to beat England. So, cause of course that's still a win for the Welsh and there must've been some support in the hometown there for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I felt like there was, although, you know, not as much as when we got to Scotland in 1994, but I'll get to that when we get to that. Oh, good, good. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, but let's see. There was uh, what else? Do we... Yeah, other other memories from that. I remember our first match was against the ne Netherlands, which you know I believe is a team that we should have beaten by a fair amount. But it was 
freezing cold, pouring rain, sleep. Our players, you know, a lot of them didn't have a whole lot of body fat. They were suffering <laughs> badly out there. And we ended up winning that game by, I don't even remember the score. I mean, one, one try, maybe, maybe six. Wow. Maybe seven. Maybe it was a penalty kick and a try. I don't know. It was, it was brutal. And I remember I had sustained a little bit of an injury in um, practice before our first match. And I, actually, I, I remember living, I kind of lived oh, in fear, I, in I fear think, that I was going to get sent home. I think I actually, I think I found it. It looks like the United States beat the Netherlands uh, zero to seven. Yes, yeah, seven. Okay. That's what it was. Four point tries then, I think so, still. So um, yeah. And it was a brutal, brutal day. And I, you know, I, I actually, at this point in my life, consider myself fortunate to have been injured. And so I didn't have to suit up. So, <laughs> you know, so I got to sit underneath in a cover and wear warm clothes and all that kind of stuff. But the, the players, like when the game was over, they just all went right into the changing room, walked straight into the showers and the mm. clothes they were wearing, the boots they had on, just shivering and chattering. And people were bringing them like hot cups of tea in the shower. You know, it was, <laughs> it was like survival of the fittest kind of a situation. It was really, really brutal, a brutal match. And I, and I think that it's probably fair to say that we, on a dry day, you know, it would have been a whole different story, but thankfully, you know, we came out of it with the win because, you know, the victory in the final would not have been possible if right. that game had slipped away. Um, so, yeah. Well, what about uh, the, what about some of the differences between the, you know, just the styles and, and rules even of rugby between now and then? Uh, one of the things you first told me about that blew my mind was that lifting was illegal in lineups in those days. Um, can you talk about how things like that have changed over the years? And do you ultimately think those changes have made the game better? Or are you sort of, or are you one of those people who's like, well, things used to be better in the good old days? I think maybe a mixture. I mean, yeah, yes, to what I said about lineouts, you know, uh, I played till 98 and lifting started to come into, uh, to be legal around, you know, sort of the last few seasons, maybe the last couple of years I played, but in the early years, it was, you know, the lineouts were just like a big mess. Like, um, you know, the, the, the refs didn't, uh, in usually enforce any kind of spacing, Oh wow! you know, you were in, and it was, you know, I happened to be very good at getting off my feet quickly and I had pretty good, uh, pretty good, lift when I jumped. Mm. So I was, I was pretty successful at competing against people that were bigger than me, much taller than me because I could get in front of them faster. You know, oh, I, could, wow. I could anticipate the throw and get up there faster and frequently would take a throw to the shoulder area instead of fully extended. Oh, wow. Because if I could get in front of them, it didn't really matter how high the throw was. Right. 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 Um, so, but, but I think that the, the way that lineups have done now seem just way more, they're cleaner. It's more straightforward. The rules are enforced better. Mm. It's, you know, it, you know, you have a, you have a really good chance. In fact, I, if done properly, you should have a hundred percent chance of winning that ball mm. in a line out, you know, um, nowadays, then it was really, really a 50, 50. Interesting. Um, and this kind of throwing that people do with the two handed throw now, yeah. it was like more of a football throw back then. Just oh, really? one hand. Yeah. Oh, um, wow. I don't even remember when that changed, but um, yeah, the kind of throw they use now was not what they used back then. But but other other rules, like for example, um, in, in during the course of my career, some experimental rules came and went. Oh, okay. Some I hated them. Like, like we had a very dominant scrum, right? So we scored my club team bean time. We scored a lot of pushover tries, mm. and somewhere along the way in my career, they decided that you couldn't push a scrum 
any more forward than the midpoint of the scrum. Oh. So it's like, well, you're taking our best attacking yeah. tool away from us, you know, and, um, and luckily, I don't think that rule lasted. And I'm not really sure what the rules are now around it. But, you know, I think scrums that I'm watching in international matches are much more evenly uh, matched. They're mm. evenly competed. So I'm not sure anyone can really push it out from five meters in. It's very right. rare. You know, it, it was very common for our team. But but so that was a, a terrible rule, in my opinion, that <laughs> came and went. But they used to have a rule like around mauling, right? Mm. So when I was playing, there were many, many times. Well, first of all, every forward from both sides was in every everything. You know, so every mall was like eight on eight, like just a big mash of people shoving. And the ball didn't come out a lot. Yeah, it got tied up a lot, but frequent. But at that time, the ball, the putting in the scrum, it blew up, and it was a scrum to the team that was moving forward. Oh wow! So you know, I I don't know how I feel about the current laws around the mall. You know, if you bring it in and it doesn't come out, you lose it. Right, right. I don't know about that. Like if you're still moving, if you're able to move it forward, why can't you have it? You know, that's a kind of dominance that I think deserves to be rewarded. Yeah. You know, so so I, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, yeah, I feel like. You know, the rules today, I think, really favor the attacking side. Hmm. So here's one that maybe doesn't. If you can't produce it cleanly, then you lose it. Okay, maybe maybe that's okay. But the other side of it is that if you're the one moving forward, why can't you keep it? I do appreciate you the know? fact that rugby seems willing to tinker with its own rules. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, be aware of how players change and the styles change and sort of adapt to those things. Um, just in the last few years, the 50-22 is, I think, turned out to be a pretty interesting tool that people are using a lot. And uh, yeah, I like the fact that they're not afraid to, you know, just stick their foot in the mud and just say, no, 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 we're never ever going to change. Right. Well, I, I kind of, as a as a um, card carrying forward, I would, you, you, you hear sometimes about, you know, when you watch international matches, what you do and scrums get reset a lot, you know, you'll hear announcers, uh, usually they're color people that are color commentators that are maybe like used to be a back, like an Andrew Mertens or those kind of people. Well, they don't know what the heck goes on in there. And they think the ref, the ref has no idea what's going on in there either. And I don't know, but you hear these like little whispers here and there that, you know, what are they going to eliminate scrums at some point? Like that would seem terrible to me. It's a very yeah. technical thing that the people who are doing it train very hard to do it well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I would hate to see something like that happen. Now that would be a very extreme thing, but, mm. um, I, and I understand that there's safety to worry about, but, I, I don't know. I, I think the scrum is an essential part of the game. We used to say all the time, the game is won or lost in the front row. Mm. You know, and that was true for our team for really forever, for my whole career, I'd say. If you had that advantage, then you, you know, you were going to go forward and you were going to probably win. Well, every time I start watching a match, I sort of start the timer to see how long it takes somebody to mention the phrase, the dark arts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, maybe they need more tight forwards. Um, Type five forwards uh, commentating on these games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are some, but a lot of them are backs, and they're like, ah, I don't know what the heck is going on in there. <laughs> well, yeah. I think it was you who actually first sent me um, a video of you know a professional rugby player explaining how even the people in the scrum sometimes don't know what is happening in the scrum, <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> the, you know when you hear the whistle, everyone kind of looks up like, I have no idea what this is going to be. What's the call? <laughs> what, right. what happened? Right. And whatever they call may have no bearing on what actually happened, but they got to call something. They've got to do something, you know, when it, when it collapses or whatever. But um, yeah. Oh, I, I skipped right over it, actually. Um, I was going to say I, want, I wanted to 
give you a brag chance uh, just for a sec. The uh, I, I'm pretty sure you scored tries in that first World Cup. Is that right? You know, I don't know if I did. I can't remember. I know for sure I did in the next one, but okay. um, I don't have any records on it, so I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. But yeah, sure, I'll take credit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, if, if, if the position the position you're playing, it's not the most prolific try scoring position. Uh, so you obviously must have other personal highlights that, that didn't involve scoring. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right. So some of the some of the things that I remember uh, is, is this: like the first the first game I played at the '91 World Cup was also, I believe it was also no, I guess it wasn't. I was going to say it was my first time playing for the national team, but I did play for them in New Zealand. Although that was kind of sort of, in a way, un, unofficial because of the way it all came together and okay. you know what I said about you know, the people that were there, not all the best players were there because they couldn't afford to go, you know, mm. kind of a thing. But anyway, I, I remember lining up for the national anthem and just being so, uh, I don't know, the whole thing was overwhelming, mm. you know, to hear your national anthem and to be on the field for it and not in the stands for it, you know, yeah. kind of a thing and wearing a USA on your Jersey and all that. Like, I feel like I, in a way sort of blacked out, you know, in the middle of it kind of a thing. It just like meant so much to me. And, and I think that once the game kicked off, like we played, we played Russia in this game and we be, ended up beating them by quite a bit. So we scored fairly early, but I realized going back to the 50 after the first try that I was completely breathless. I was, I couldn't breathe. I was, and I think I held my breath from the opening whistle <laughs> until I ran back to the 50 because it was just so, it was such a big moment for me. Yeah. And I, I had to really like, you know, kind of bring myself back to it's rugby and you know how to do this. Like the moment was just so huge for me that uh, I forgot to breathe. Are, are you, are you a uh, loudly and proudly sing the anthem along with the anthem player or are you a stand there and look very, very serious player? You know, I think I sang it nowadays for sure. I go to a Red Sox game and sing it loud and proud, you know, mm. kind of a thing. Um, then I sang it, but this, there wasn't so much focus on the national anthem as there is now. Right, right. It was a little different. And, um, and now I think they have national anthem singing practice, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I think we were singing. I think that like the reserves might have been holding up a USA flag and all that. So I think oh, wow. we, we, yeah, we were all really into it, but it wasn't like this in a belted out kind of way in those days. It's just yeah. not how it, it's funny. How sometimes, we did now, it. sometimes now you'll watch an international test and they, they'll do the thing where the, the, the camera operator sort of walks in front of each player one by one. And because they're using that mic on that camera, you can hear different people's voices and it's like, okay, well that, that person can sing. Oh, that person should stop singing. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, luckily I don't think they ever did that with us because we didn't have any coverage like that, but. Right. I don't know how I would like, I would find that distracting. I, I might be one of those people that you see with their eyes closed for the oh, yeah. anthem if I had a camera in front of my face. Um, well, well, you watch Super Rugby, so you, you must see that the, they are in love with having the, the camera person on the Segway, who as soon as uh, you know any, any kind of scoring happens, all of a sudden the camera kind of <laughs> zooms over and it's right next to the players. And I, I'm waiting for a player just to be like, get the heck out of here one of these times. I know, I know. I, I would be distracted by that. I mean, you know, there's, it's, there's a lot of reasons and ways that, you know, playing in anonymity and, you know, is, uh, 
is not good and not getting any kind of coverage or anything like that. But the other side of it is that you don't have that, you know, the, the cameras in your face constantly. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, I'm not a, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not of the video camera generation. So I'm not a big fan of being captured on video. So uh, <laughs> I don't think I would like that very much. And, you know, who knows if I was playing now, I'd be of a different generation and maybe I'd feel differently. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder. You know? Well, the uh, so in between that first World Cup and the next one, there was actually also something you told me about the the Canada Cup, which was in Toronto in 1993. Um, that must have been amazing as well. And so it, it, when I when I looked it up, it said that England, the U.S., Canada, and Wales all competed in that one, and yeah. uh, that was the order in which they would finish as well: England, U.S., Canada, Wales. Um, but and by the way, even though England won. I see that your team actually outscored them overall by 22 points, which I thought was pretty interesting. Huh. I wasn't aware of that. I never looked at those stats, but I do remember that. Like, I, I think the intention of that event, event was to try to um, set up an international competition every two years before and two years after a World Cup. Right, right. Because up until that point, there was really a one, one match a year against Canada for the USA. That was pretty much our international competition. So I think that that was the purpose of it. And I remember... It was in Toronto. I remember going to that and I got selected to play in that. The first match was against England and it was like a foggy night and it was very dramatic. Um, I don't actually remember the score, but I do remember we didn't win. And that was disappointing. Yeah, I think uh, um, it, look, it looks like that was the only match you all lost. But yeah, I mean, I think so. I don't think there was a final. I think it was a points total on the. On yeah, the it was just like a round robin kind of thing. And I, I remember that. Um, well, at this point in time, uh, there was a new coaching team in place for the U.S. team, mm. and um, he was from the West Coast, and he knew all those players very, very well, you know, and so those of us on the East Coast and the Midwest were all, like, keen to, you know, show what we had kind of a thing, and, mm. um, you know, I, I personally, it seemed to me like that, that his selections kind of favored the West Coast, mm. uh, so, um, so we were all just keen to prove our worth, you know, kind of thing. But I also remember that he, he, the, whoever the tour captain was, and I can't remember who that was, they weren't playing in the second game against Wales and he named me the captain of that match. Oh, wow. And I was like, I was supposed to, I think I was supposed to be driving the van to practice when he told me before we get on the van, I was like, I, I can't drive. Like somebody else has to drive, you know, I don't want to do it. And um, I, again, it was a similar feeling to what I described in that first world cup match where I was just like, Oh, wow, this is, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's like the big moments like that. Like I had played sports my whole life, but never anything close to being on a national team sure. kind of a thing. So the idea of being in that environment was just so huge to me, you know, and almost like a dream that, mm. you know, th these big moments like <laughs> could sometimes like really, I don't know, I don't want to say overwhelm me, but they really just meant a lot. And um, yeah. Again, I remember the national anthem before that game. And of course, you know, Kevin, my my first coach at Beantown, the first World Cup coach, he was from Wales. He'd always talked about the passion of the Welsh mm. and, you know, in rugby and the fans and everything. And so I was and I don't think I'd ever played against Wales. So I was like, oh, my God, this is so big. You yeah. know, and um, at, at that time, you know, we wore uh, scrum bands and the scrum caps that, you know, today didn't exist then. Oh, wow. So, so we. I, I remember having a scrum band. It was just like a piece of leather that went over your ears and Velcroed across your forehead. And usually you had to put tape on it because it would never stay on. Anyway, <laughs> I, I put mine on and it turned out I put it on too tight. 
So I, I remember standing there for the national anthem. You know, the captain's like the first one right there, yeah. and, you know, and I'm um, singing the national anthem and my, I could feel like the top of my skull kind of going a little pins and needles, you know, kind of thing. My sc- <laughs> but there wasn't time to fix it. So I had to play the game that way, you know, with the, and uh, oh my God, it was something. But in boy, oh boy, he was not wrong about the passion of the world. So we, I think we beat them fairly handily, but they were ferocious, just mm. ferocious. Um, and it was just a wonderful experience to, to do that, you know. And of course, when I, afterwards, when we had the little get together with the Welsh team, you know, the captains come up and make a presentation to the other captain and you have oh, nice. some words to say. And of course, I had to you know, talk about my Kevin uh, and his influence on me and, you know, That's just that whole thing. Anyway. Yeah. So were you often uh, picked to be captain after that? Uh, no, I was never the tour captain, but I got to be the captain again in the 94 World Cup for a match against Ireland. Oh, wow. So a couple of times. But I, I don't know. I have nine caps. I was captain twice. Uh, that, that's pretty good. Yeah. It, 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 one, one would have been great. It was, it was an honor, you know. Was it easier the second time? Uh, yes. It, I didn't feel as, um, and I felt I functioned better after, after hearing the news. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as you've mentioned, the, the, the second World Cup did take place in Scotland. Um, I, I read that it was initially planned to be in the Netherlands. Uh, yeah. it, it's becoming obvious looking at all this stuff that the Netherlands was a huge country for women's rugby, which I didn't even really realize until I started looking at, at these, uh, these stats. Um, <clears throat> so at this time, or in, the, in this tournament, you also found yourself in the World Cup final. This one was at the Academicals in Edinburgh. And yeah. uh, unfortunately, in that one, you lost to England. Um, I also noticed that uh, that World Cup was held three rather than four years after the first one. I believe that was in an effort to sort of get the women's tournament off of the same schedule as the men's. Am I, am I right about that? Yeah, th- that was my understanding at the time. You know, it, it, I guess in the hopes that maybe any small pittance of funding might come our way, you know, <laughs> kind of a thing. Um, I think it did. I don't think we had to pay as much for that second World Cup as the first one. Um, but yeah, so they did, they moved it off. They moved it off um, the four year, they went to three and then they went four years after that. But it seemed like they made another adjustment later on because there was a World Cup in 2014 and then another one in 2017. So now, right. now it's currently two years off from the men's. Oh yeah. Except for this year, because this year they're playing the 2021 World Cup, right? You know, because of COVID. So, but but in general, I think that they're now settled in to be every two years if there is either a men's or a women's World Cup. Um, but yeah, that that tournament was great. We we had a really good team, and um, you know, we got lots of press there, as alluded to earlier. You know, the Scottish they wanted us to bleep, beat the bloody English like everywhere everywhere what? we went. They were rooting the, the for us. Wow, no, that doesn't sound you like know. Scots at all. Um, and we had, yeah, we just had a really good team that I have to say losing to England in the final of that match was really, it's a very, very bad memory, which I don't like to think about or talk about. And I have, I, I have other teammates where we commiserate about it, you know, yeah. frequently, oh, I don't. but you know, <laughs> what I will say about it is that, um, you know, a couple of things. One is the 91 world cup after having been in England, uh, uh, for the Wyvern tour, you could see how much, how much they improved, Oh wow! how much their rugby improved. And like many of the people that were on that world cup team in 91 for England were people that we played against as college right. kids or real youngsters in, um, in the, on the Wyvern tour. So, so now here we are three years later and 
you know, now they're even more, they have more support, they have more funding, and they're a teeny tiny little country where getting together the whole team frequently is not a problem, you know? Oh, right, right. And so, you know, they, I think they, they spent a ton of time um, on forward play, trying to, you know, overcome us that way. And that's kind of how the game played out. Like our backs were dazzling and scored, I don't want to say whenever they touched the ball, but they, they made stuff happen a lot, but our forwards were, our, our forwards were a little overwhelmed. Our scrum was like skidding backwards and not like, you know, not having a good lockout. Like you have a good lockout, your cleats are stuck in the ground and they're just dragging. Oh, wow. You know, so it was, it was tough. We were, we were up against it in that game. You never never should have shown them the weight room. No, never should have. (laughs) Um, And we, you know, I believe they were lifting in the lineouts when it wasn't allowed at the time. Oh, really? Yeah. But, um, you know, and, and, you know, that just all sounds like sour grapes, but yeah, I am a little sour about it. So <laughs> I, I guess it kind of is okay. Um, but yeah, it was, but, but one thing I will say about, uh, about that trip. So m- my mother always wondered why I played rugby. When are you going to stop doing that? She didn't understand, you know, all this stuff. She and my aunt came to Scotland for part of that world cup. Oh, wow. And the the B and B or the place that she stayed, the people there were all like, "Oh my God, your daughter plays on the U.S. team. Oh, you have to have her come over for dinner. Oh, you have to this. Can you get us a USA pin? Like all this stuff." Wow. So you know they kept their kitchen open late one night so that I could go over and have dinner with them after practice and meetings and whatever else we had going on. And um, and, and so she just got a different view of it being in a rugby country, yeah, you know, kind yeah. of a thing. And then in and even after the. I think it was the final game we'd lost and stuff, but the, all these girls came running on the field. They were all wanted to touch you and shake your hand and get your autograph. And my mother was a witness to that. And, and I think her view of me playing rugby kind of made a, it changed a little. I think, you know, the idea of it being a legit sport or whatever kind of changed for her. And, you know, she's, she stopped questioning why I was doing this or when wow. I was going to stop. Although she did always say this, I hope I don't die on a rugby weekend. Because <laughs> uh, I think she felt like I would have chosen rugby over <laughs> her own services kind wow. of a thing. She was in he- invested heavily in the pre-guilt. Just to- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but so, so that, that was really kind of a cool memory. It just, you know, it, That's it an was, amazing story. I'm glad she was able to kind of get it, you know, that, that this was something important to me and it was something worthwhile and, you know. And you mentioned earlier that you you specifically do remember scoring tries in this tournament. Is that right? I do. I do. I, I don't remember how many or anything like that, but I do remember scoring. We we scored a ton of points in this tournament. Mm. I mean, so many points. I think we played Japan and beat them by like 120 something to oh nothing or something like like real some real big scores. So yeah, it was there was a there were a lot of tries to go around. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you get a try, and you get a try, yeah. and you get a try. So, <laughs> USA Rugby, USA Rugby used to have a, a a data web a data component to their website where they had all this information about who played in what games and you know who scored and all that kind of stuff. And I remember seeing all that there, but I, I don't know that website went away, and I don't know if they retrieved the data or not. I'm not sure exactly yeah, it, what happened. It's incredibly hard to find, in my experience. Any stats? It's it's funny the um, the article about Wyvern had 
more stats in a way because it has photos of you know handwritten lineups and uh, this person played this many minutes and stuff like that but it's all just sort of jotted down and then somebody got a picture of it or something like that it's it, you know not not a proper database well you know it's funny <laughs> it's funny you should say that because um a topic we're going to get to later which is this uh women's rugby you know history thing mm. um i i in digging through some of my stuff i found i'm going to show it to you but no one else can see this tiny little notebook yeah. that I seem to have kept the log of the Wyvern tour. Oh my gosh. And it's, it's very cryptic. Like this is like the first game oh, over here. So it just has people's first names and if they scored a try and what the final score was. So oh, wow. this is all, you know, so I've got this whole thing of, uh, and I have little notes about um, when we went to sightsee or di did different things like that. Oh, um, wow. You know, we had Thanksgiving in Paris so what we did, what we did to celebrate Thanksgiving, I have all that noted in there. And oh my gosh, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I would love, yeah, to, get a look, I, I would love to get a look kept, at that someday. I kept a lot of stuff from that, from my playing days. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. <laughs> oh, with good reason. So the next World Cup, of course, was in 1998, and it was the first one to be officially sanctioned, even you know as it was happening. Um, but I know that was also close to the end of your playing days. Um, did you have any involvement with that one or were you sort of a, a viewer by then? Yeah, no, I was, I did not. I, I, um, after the 94 world cup, I, I think I might've played like, like a Eastern rugby union, all stars once or twice more, just cause I wasn't ready to give that up. But any USA stuff I was done with at that point. Um, yeah, no, so I didn't. I mean, it, it's worth noting three world cups and three finals appearances for the USA. That's, that's, that's something else. It, it, it is. And as, you know, as I noted earlier that the other countries were catching up with us, you know, yeah. gonna, you could see that they were going to surpass us, these rugby nations, you know, they had the, they had the facilities that they just had more than we did, you know? And so you knew that that was going to happen. And, and after 98, you could really start to see that happen. Well, like I can't help but notice you know, you've mentioned 98 was essentially when you pretty much hung up your boots, at least at, at that kind of level. And I do notice from then until 2017, the USA placed no better than fourth. So is it fair to say that you are the single reason we were so good back then? <laughs> well, I don't want to brag. But, uh, yeah, yeah, no. Uh, I, think, I think it's obvious to everybody. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it, we were, you know, we were older at the World Cup than the first World Cup than most other teams. And I think, you know, those of us that that were in the early stages, we started, you know, retiring and stuff. So yeah, yeah. You know. huh. Well, between Wyvern, that New Zealand tournament, the Canada Cup, and those two World Cups, do you have? It's, I mean, this is probably going to be hard to put your finger on, but do you have a favorite memory? You know, maybe something that's not even on the pitch, maybe something that went off, you know, went went on off the field. You know, I it's funny. I was thinking about this. I did jot down some things so that I could remember them, but I already told you about them. So. <laughs> 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 so, you know, in favorites, hard to, no favorite, lots and lots of really great memories. So, uh, you know, um, nah, this wasn't really from playing, but, you know, being inducted into the Rugby uh, Hall of Fame for the 1991 World Cup team was really, really great. When was that anyway? Uh, it was 2017. Okay. So I guess that's five years ago. And as a matter of fact, I'm going uh, next month in July, one of my teammates uh, from that uh, team, the 91 World Cup team um, is being inducted into the Hall of Fame as, oh, an, wow. indi as an individual player. And so I'm, I'm, we're going to go out there and support her in that. So um, where will that be? It's going to be in Denver, Colorado. Well, Glendale, oh, right, uh, right, Colorado. Right. 
the current sort of home of USA rugby in a way. Yeah, yeah, because the USA Chile men's match will be taking place the next day. Oh, wow. Um, and you're going to stay and watch? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. That could that that match could mean a lot by then too, depending on how the, the other one in Chile goes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's just so many, and it's from so many different arenas. My club team, the All Star teams, the I don't know. So many. At, at one point, you were telling me um, when we worked together uh, something about the first time you walked into Twickenham. I think it was, and I'm trying I'm trying to think of what what occasion that would have been but you talked about just how incredible the just the experience of even just knowing you're there and looking around was oh yeah that was you know that was pretty well past my playing days but um i went to in 2010 the world cup was in uh was in england some suburb outside of uh london which i can't remember at the moment but um at that time kathy flores was the head coach of the women's national team and her staff was made up of players that I had played with. Oh, wow. Um, and I had five or six kids that I was coaching from Beantown who were on the team. Oh, wow. so, so, so we went to the world cup, uh, there. And one of the things we did on the off days, um, when there wasn't a rugby game is we went to have a tour of Twickenham. And, um, that was the first time I'd been there. I'm pretty sure. But uh, we told the guy that I played on the U S team and all that. And so he let me kind of walk out like the players walk out, like oh, wow. kind of let me lead the tour group, be the first one out onto the field and all that kind of stuff. And it was like, it was very grand. It was wow. really great. Yeah. So I think that's what that story's from. Cause I don't think I've been there any other time. Hopefully nobody started singing swing low while you were out there. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> So I've already taken up a ton of your time. Thank you again for joining us here. Um, I do want to ask about those days from 98 onward. Um, you, be, you became, I think, more involved with Beantown Rugby in a way. Uh, you, and you were also playing sevens, which you've told me was mostly for fun. But you sort of became a coach and a mentor, as you've hinted at. Um, how did you find all these different ways to stay involved with rugby? Or I should say, what were these ways that you stayed involved with rugby once you right. stopped actually competing at, at 15s? Well, um, I did. I did play from 1980 to 1998 for Beantown. So all I wow. only ever played for one team. So um, wow. you know, so the loyalty comes in. So I, I had the good fortune of joining the the best team in Boston and the most successful one. So there's they still very much exist. Yep, they do. Yeah. Um, um, but so then I then I when I first stopped playing, it's so funny because you know I was getting up there. I was still playing. I was. Um, how old was I? I was in my forties and I was still playing at a pretty high level. Wow. And, and I was like trying to decide, well, how will I know when it's time to retire? And people who had would tell me, Oh, you'll know when you know. And, you know, to me, that was meaningless answer. Um, <laughs> until it, until it one moment came to me, we were, there's a big tournament in the summer up in Saranac Lake, New York, and we were practicing for it. And it was just like one line out after the other, after the other. And I was like, you know, I don't, it kind of came to me that I think maybe after this tournament, I'll be done. So, wow. So it came that fast, like in the two weeks time and I was done. But anyway, that fall, I didn't have any involvement with the team, but I would go out and watch the games. And I was like, the, tur the turnover is really rapid, you know, like people leave and people come and there were all these people I didn't even know. And, but, but a, a former teammate was still coaching the team. So okay. uh, by the following spring, I had asked if I could, you know, help on the help coach. I wasn't mm. an official coach really because I had a, she was a back and then they had a forwards coach, but I just kind of helped him. And eventually, you know, I became an assistant. And then when she stepped down, 
Um, nobody really wanted to be the head coach. So we had like a coach by committee situation going on. Oh, wow. And that, that just, you know, that doesn't that sound like it's really, good. It doesn't sound like it'll you know, work. But I think everybody kind of knew, everybody wanted to help, but everybody also knew what a commitment it would be to be mm. the head coach. And, you know, because I'm so loyal and because I love my team, you know, I was like, well, I can't just leave them hanging. So I decided to step up and do it. And I, I don't even remember when that was. It might have been you know, the late 90s, maybe. And I did that for like 10 years, maybe. I think I stopped in 2010. Wow. And um, much, much the same way that and it is, you know, I just kind of felt like this. OK, 1980 to 2010, that's like a 30-year time frame you get your kids out of the house faster than that you know <laughs> like it was a lot and it was a huge it was a huge commitment it was like you know pretty darn near the single most important thing in my life above my job above my family above everything you know and I just couldn't I just couldn't continue like that it was mm. too much you know so so I decided to to step down but but I want to I do want to go back to the sevens that you talked about yeah, I never yeah. I never played seven seriously like at the time I always felt like sevens isn't a game for tight forwards, you know, <laughs> um, but, but one of my former teammates had decided to enter a team into this, uh, the Boston women's rugby team started this tournament they used to have on Cape Cod. Mm. And um, I think it was in Barnstable. And they, anyway, they would have this in the middle of the summer, probably the hottest day of the year. They would have this sevens tournament. And my friend Carrie got this brilliant idea to enter a team in pink ball gowns, like pink prom dresses. Um, and I think I think she likes to think that she invented that whole thing. And she very, very well may have, because it was a long, long time ago. You see that a lot more now, the teams will do yeah, that. Yeah. So everyone would go to like the secondhand store and try to find a, or, or borrow, or try to get from somebody a, a the bridesmaid dress they wore or something. We'd go out there and we'd play in, you know, prom dresses, bridal, you know, whatever it was. And, um, and we were really good. So we were, we'd win, you know, like, and uh, it was, it was pretty hilarious, but I got to tell you, it's really hot to play rugby on the hottest day of the year in a dress like in that. A full, like, um, ball so, so that's kind of like the way I played rugby. It was only really ever for fun. It was, you know, people would enter this tournament and there'd be like the all prop team mm, and they would have this, mo this motto, if we catch you, we'll kill you kind of a thing. <laughs> um, and they would just try to maul the whole game. Like in sevens, they would just try to maul for the whole time. And there would be like a, 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 a Hello, my name is Mary. Everybody on the team's name was Mary. You know, there was kind of all that kind of stuff. So, so that's the extent of my sevens, you know, stuff was really just the fun once, once or twice a year kind of stuff. And I think that tournament still exists because, uh, and I think it's moved from the Cape, unless this was a different iteration of it. But early, you know, when I think when we were still working together, I did get to go to see that. And it was this, you know, just an enormous field so big that you could fit you know t i don't know eight or ten matches at the same time and just different parts of the field and you had everything from people who had you know fitted custom printed actual kits to people who had <laughs> written something on a t-shirt and yeah. yeah people were wearing dresses and skirts so i remember this one team there was a one of the matches I stopped and watched uh, this, my son was still in the stroller so I had just taken him along to just kind of stare at everything it was very he couldn't really make heads or tails of it but um that one team was you know this very professional looking kit with a you know professionally made uniforms and they were playing against some women who were just wearing like black t-shirts with things written on them and they were all wearing uh cut off jeans and at one point I, one of them was kind of standing there during a stoppage in play and i was like hey what's your team called and she was like the pretty pretty ladies 
<laughs> Can't you tell? <laughs> yeah, um, they would sometimes, I think, have a theme for the thing and people would try to match the theme or people would just do their own thing. But I think now it's possible. I think that is the same tournament. And I think it's possible now that they may have two different divisions, like because sometimes there's like sevens qualifying events to, oh. to play for a sevens national championship. And I think they may have a division that's for that. And then which may be the fully kitted out people you saw. Oh yeah. And, and, and maybe they have a division for just the people who just want to have fun. So I, I, I'm not really sure. I've lost touch with what that tournament is, but I went to it every year for a really, really long time. Um, and it, yeah, it, it was super fun. It took me a while to get into to sevens. I, I just, it, it seems so different that I almost stubbornly was like, no, no sevens for me, <laughs> but no, I, I've definitely warmed up to it. Yeah, but it's, it's definitely different. I mean, it's not, it's definitely not the same as 15s. I feel like you have to have a better understanding of the game of rugby mm. to watch and enjoy 15s. Yeah. Sevens, I think you can just be a casual fan and kind of get it, you know. Uh, there's also that sort of festival atmosphere that seems to go along with it too. So you can just kind of go and maybe watch this game and then go get a beer for the next one and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and they can, like, you know, it's, it's kind of, su- it kind of uh, is suited more to an Olympic kind of situation because you can play an entire tournament in three days kind of. A thing. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you don't need a week in between every match and all that kind of stuff. Hey, yeah. st- still Olympic world champions in, in 15s, USA. They are. They are. Yeah. <laughs> so do you actually follow women's rugby these days? So I know uh, you're a super rugby fan. You're the, one, the, the person who first pointed me towards that league, which is still my favorite, I think, because I started watching it first uh your crusaders uh, have a big game coming up this weekend yet again yes yes they do um i know you're going for the blues but i'm gonna you know it's like I, i'm not a trash talking kind of fan so I, and i'm not guaranteeing anything but i i want the crusaders to win um, they, have a, they have a great shot i'm sure but of the super rugby teams the blues are my second favorite so oh is that right yeah. well when we these early days when we were talking about it you mentioned the crusaders i was like okay if i'm going to start following super rugby i can't pick the crusaders because first of all i, I can I look at their record and I, i'm not going to just be a front runner and just be like well you guys win the most so i pick you right. but i also thought i have to pick a team that isn't jan's favorite team and so i picked the highlanders and uh whoo it was a stink pot of a year a year this year yeah they had a rough go of it but, um, but as far as women's rugby goes, I, you know, I don't follow it as closely. I find that, you know, while I still enjoy rugby and I'm a fan of rugby, I gave so much of my life to it already. You know, oh, kind right, of a right. thing that I, that I think I kind of parcel out my attention maybe. Okay. Um, but I, I do pay attention. Like I keep an eye on it, but I don't, I don't, you know, seek out all the streams and watch them all and all that. I, I've been to see Harvard play one of my former kids that I coach coaches them now. Oh, wow. Um, when Kathy was coaching at Brown, I would sometimes go watch them play. I'll go out and see Beantown play periodically. Um, if they play locally, uh, you know, and I kind of pay attention, but I, I more pay attention than actually a dedicated watcher. Well, the, I think I might've already told you, there's a, a former student of, of my wife's. Uh, she now goes to Wellesley college and Wellesley has a very, you know, pretty low level club team there. And um, it's pretty much you sign up and you can play. Right. We went, went to see one of those matches and it was Wellesley against, and the, the other team, neither of these two other schools could, could field an entire team. So it was a combined, uh, it was Brandeis and another fairly local school that sort of combined to make one team. And it was just so awesome. Uh, we were so bummed to find out it was her last game of the year, but she's going to be back in the fall and we're going to be going every weekend, no doubt. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I certainly had a lot of um, 
kids I coached who came out of, came to our team from Wellesley and mm. uh, various players I coached also coach have coached Wellesley in the past, you know, so, yeah. Well, uh, so I recently was speaking with the, the current Watsonian scrum half, Rachel Law. She, she was just amazing. And um, we were talking about the, the rise of the popularity in the sport. Do you, do you agree? Do, I mean, do you see that? Do you, do you see things changing for the better? Um, she and I talked a lot about the, the latest Six Nations where, you know, all the numbers were through the roof comparatively, just increases in attendance, viewership, you know, uh, merch, all the stuff that goes along with it. Um, do you see a big increase, a big rise in the sport? Yeah, I think so. First of all, I want to say I did listen to that podcast and it was delightful. She's amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm going to be pulling for her to, you know, play with her sister. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, I will be watching. Uh, it, it was so funny, too, that when we first got on the call, she was like, by the way, there might be a, a, a this is lambing season and I might not be able to stay on the call. <laughs> uh, yeah, I heard you refer to that at the end. I'm glad your pager didn't go off or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, I think the rising popularity is good. And I think that. I think it's hopefully a sign of you know, just more interest in it. But I will say this, in Massachusetts, rugby, high school rugby now falls under the MIAA, which is the governing body for all high school sports. That's right. right. So I think that that is a big, a big step. In fact, they're playing three champ state championship games this weekend. Oh, wow. Um, I think it's all at Curry College, but they have like a division one boys, a division two boys and a division, maybe it's division one or all division girls um, event wow. going on. Um, and so I think that helps and because I, I think it also, uh, the fact that it's under that umbrella, I think it might help parents decide that it's okay for their kid to play rugby. You know, it's not like some one-off thing with who's coaching them, is it safe? Like all those things. Like there's there's a, a mass youth rugby organization that, yep. actually I have a friend whose teenage son, she was looking into having him play rugby at Brookline High and she called, before she, she did, she called me and asked me some things that I sent her. I sent her to them, like thinking, talk to them. They'll give you data on concussion rates and all the safety and all that kind of stuff. And it turns out he did play and he loved it. He loved it so much. Oh, wow. I, I think he was a sophomore and he played on the team, on the Brookline High team. And I think he's going to continue playing. That's um, amazing. So, 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 so I do think that kind of thing will like make sort of legitimize it more or make it more like it's not some fringe thing on yeah, the side, yeah. you know, because it, it's not a fringe sport. Right. You know, and just because you haven't heard of it as an American doesn't make it a fringe sport exactly. you know, kind of thing. It's a legitimate <laughs> sport that is, you know, hugely popular in other countries, you know, yeah. kind of thing. So, so I think that, and I think that, um, uh, you know, rugby in the Olympics, even though it's sevens is another step towards that, you know, yeah. it just, it just puts it in front of people more. Um, and, and while I didn't watch any of the six nations games, I did hear that, you know, the, the attendance and the viewership and all of that was up. And I think that's, I think that's all, all really great. But um, I think, you know, I, I heard Rachel talk about this in the podcast you did with her. It's like, you know, the England are professional, you know, yeah. and, and you're like, you're not like you're working a full-time job and you're trying to compete. And this, the same is true of, um, you know, a lot of American players too. There are a lot of them playing overseas now, but, but there's still a lot that aren't, you know, yeah. kind of a thing. So getting that kind of, full-on support from the from your governing body or you know even if you don't make it professional like give them more money like the, you know the u.s team shouldn't have to have bake sales to raise enough money yeah. to go on a trip you know kind of a thing and um so so i think that that's an important thing too that that there's more interest is great but you know some of these governing bodies need to put their money where their mouth is you know and yeah 
Well, there's, yeah. yeah, and Scotland is sort of paying lip service now to, oh, we're gonna, we've just increased this pool of money, uh, so we're going to add this, but, you know, the, the people I listen to are greatly displeased with this because it feels to them like they're sort of pointing in a direction saying, oh, look how much better we're doing, but it doesn't actually change the reality because it doesn't ma- mean the difference between I can quit my job or not, and they're still, you know, asking people to play at a professional level without being professional. Right, right. It, it, yeah, and that's really unfortunate because they're never going to, I mean, no one's ever going to be able to compete with a fully, at this point, a fully professional side. I mean, even New Zealand, which is, you know, so strong in rugby, I, I feel like they've been up and down over the years in terms of their support of the women's team. Yeah. Well, there's also lots of controversy around the, <laughs> the Black Ferns and how they've been run for the last several years. And uh, New Zealand seemed to be mea culpaing a little bit right now and kind of trying to say, whoops, sorry, yes, yes, we have not been handling this well. Well, well that's good. I mean, you know. Yeah. It's a place to start. It's a place to start. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I always like to ask people too, um, you've already mentioned, you know, getting it in the schools is sort of such an important factor. Um, but, you know, if, if so, if you had $50 million burning a hole in your pocket <laughs> and you were dedicated to using it to advancing the women's game, what would you do with all that money? Just run away to Hawaii and go back to that beach? No, well, you know, <laughs> I'd probably, I'd probably keep some of it. <laughs> but but I, I would say I mean, that- you've, my, kind of earned, you've kind of earned some of that by now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, would, I would start with my own club, Beantown. Like we, for years, for years and years and years, lots of us have said amongst each other, if I ever win the lottery, you know, I'll buy a patch of land, practice fields, pitch, you know, game fields, Clubhouse, so Beantown would be first on my list. Yeah. So I know that that doesn't really advance the game globally, but that that's you know that's where my loyalty lies. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know if you know, and I really haven't thought much more beyond that. You know, if I if to solving the global problem, I haven't really thought about it. But mm. certainly, money, 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 money is very very helpful. Yeah, you know, towards making that happen. And, and like, you know, an issue we had in the USA still always has. The country is so darn big. Yeah. That, you know, the opportunities to get together are, it's so hard. It's yeah. so hard to, you know, they, I mean, they, they do, they get together more than we did. I mean, you know, in my, in my playing days, you know, you weren't, you weren't as a player forced to choose between your own team and the national team all that often. And, you know, when I, I realized that there's a common theme through these topics that Beantown, Beantown, my loyalty, my club team, like, you know, before there was a national team, winning the national championship was your, your pinnacle. Right, right. Right. So I still can't quite exactly shake that. So I am a little glad that I played in a time when you didn't have to make those decisions. Like some of these people on the U.S. team aren't even on a team, on a club team in the United States, you know, like, oh, wow. oh, yeah, you know, so um, it's. You know, I that's a tough one for me just because of my affinity for club rugby and loyalty to it. But, you know, nowadays you can't your team can't really count on you if you're in the national pool because you might be pulled out at any moment in time. Right. You know, and I don't think there's any kind of rules or permissions or anything like that. I think you just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You can't take players out of this league during this time. Nope. You just take them when you want them. And if you've got a big WPL game coming up and you're missing, you know, five of your players. Let's take a feather in your cap for your club to have a bunch of USA level players, but then they take them all away. And then what? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can't compete at the same level. So that, that's a difficult problem that I don't know how, 
I never saw a solution to it when I was playing for sure, you know. Well, um, the, the WPL, I think that those finals are in two weeks. I think they're not this weekend, but the next in Illinois, yeah, I think. Yeah, they are. I think the top four play for the championship and and then there's some more competitions for the lower level uh, teams to place fifth or whatever. So in your, your Beantown days, who was, did you have sort of an arch rival? You mentioned FSU being a stiff competition all the time. Was there, you know, was there a team that you considered sort of your biggest rival? Well, you know, in the early years, it was for sure Florida State. Um, uh, and they were a, a, a rival, not only on the East Coast, but nationally. Mm. Um, but there were other teams. There were some teams in the, uh, in California, like Northern California, Berkeley was a big rival. Huh. Um for a while on the East coast, Maryland had a really strong team and they, they were a, a, a rival. Um, yeah. You know, so, and then, Oh, lo, uh, regionally, you're going to love this. New York okay. <laughs> was it, it, that was more in my coaching days. They formed a team in, in the New York rugby club that was full of like high level players and all that. And they mm. competed for national championships. They were a huge rival in my coaching days. Um, but Beantown was a, an original member of the WPL. I remember being in meetings and conversations about the formation of that. Oh, wow. I, think, I think it was created to provide a higher level of competition for those players who wish to or were playing for the USA. Mm. You know, like a regular high-level competition. So they, they kind of took like the top eight teams in the country and put them in this league. And Beantown was originally in it. Um, and I think they had a moment after I wasn't involved anymore with Beantown where I think they dropped back down to division one because financially they just couldn't swing it. Cause it's oh. super expensive, you know, yeah. and, you know, to, to do it, but now they're back in it again. And I think they're maybe competing this weekend to try to get in the top four to, oh, to wow. make the, that, um, yeah. I'm, try, into I, that competition. I'm trying to find out if those, uh, if those things are going to be streamed anywhere. Uh, I, think i saw that flow rugby might have it but i you know i saw that too i saw i saw like an upcoming kind of thing about wpl and i didn't know who was going to be the semi-final i didn't know which matches it didn't really say um yeah it's a little bit yeah i I find i find it very difficult to find that information about wpl like i'll know that beantown played a match on a saturday and i'll go on sunday and look for the score i'll look at the beantown side i'll look at the wpl so i can't find it anywhere yeah it's like well Somebody tell me, do they win? Like, you know? I mean, like you say, there's so, so many costs involved. And I'm sure web developer isn't on the list. Or yeah. On the list. yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, well, you, you mentioned your coaching days, especially with Beantown. Um, do you have a favorite memory as, as a coach? It sounds like it was something you were a little reluctant to get into, but then if you did it for, you know, upwards of 10 and plus years, you probably must have been enjoying something about it. Yeah, I did. I mean, it was... You know, for me, I felt like what I what I wanted to accomplish as a coach. Well, first of all, I would have loved to coach him to a national championship, which never happened. We had some huh. sevens. We had some second place finishes in the WPL, but we couldn't get over the hump. But but to dial it back to just sort of the everyday, it mm. was really like I felt like I was not a good fit if you didn't care about improving your own game. Mm. I was a good fit if you were. You know, because that's what I wanted. I wanted to see some improvement, like either from the beginning of a drill to the end of a drill, the beginning of a practice to the end, a week, a season, whatever you name it. You know, I wanted to see some sort of upward trajectory for people. Mm. 
and it that didn't matter if you were the best person on the team or the or the or the worst person on the team like it didn't matter like all were welcome and i wanted i wanted continual improvement yes i wanted you to want to get better you know mm. and so when i saw that it was really really rewarding like there were moments in time where you'd see a light bulb go off for someone someone that you said the same thing to for a thousand times like all of a sudden it went, it, something clicked. They understood what you meant. They put it into practice and it was awesome to see that. Like I had some really great moments like that along the way, you know? Well, you, you've hinted that you were a bit of a dictator over the line outs. Yeah, I was pretty, I would say the line out and the driving mall were like my, we rehearsed those things. And, and some sometimes they were one and the same, you know, taking a line out into a mall, but right. sometimes, you know, just, out of the course of play, forming a mall and driving it, but the choreography of it, all of that, I was a real stickler for all that. And we yeah. practiced it forever. People I'm sure hated it, but we were really good at it. We were really yeah. good at it. <laughs> so when we were speaking just recently, you also let me in on um, an incredible project. I once again, hadn't heard anything about uh, the US Women's Rugby Foundation who have created an online museum and are currently touring uh, to sort of tout the history of the sport, to help try to grow the game at the highest level. Um, can you talk briefly about that? And uh, once again, of course, I've po posted the link to that site in my show notes. Yeah, I mean, a former teammate of mine, Carrie Heffernan, is really involved in that. And, you know, she she actually, she contacted me. She's been reaching out to all kinds of people, especially the ones she knew kept everything, like me. Yeah. Um, you know, to go through our stuff, do you have anything that we could use? Like, this is for the archives. First off, she was looking for archives it boxes and boxes of paper upstairs articles uh notes from meetings i even had i had i had to go through it all because i even had some stuff that i wasn't willing to share which might have been you know uh critiques of players on my own team when i oh, was wow. a selector or whatever you know so i had to i didn't want to put anything out there that was you know going to be either controversial controversial or harmful to anybody you know sure. kind of a thing but i went through all my stuff i had meeting notes from every level the new england rugby union the eastern rugby union the usa like all kinds i was on committees all over the place administrating you know rugby and um anyway so i went through all that and i sent it i sent tons to her she's got an archivist who's working to archive and tag all this stuff so that you can pretty much find anything you want that's amazing um, and if you go to the um, U.S. Women's Rugby Foundation site, you will see there are some links to decades of things. And oh, wow. you, can, you can click on it and see like the letter inviting players to the very first USA Canada match wow. and stuff like that. That some of that stuff came from my files and probably in lots of other people who would have gotten the same letter, you know, kind hmm. of thing. Um, but anyway, so so there's plenty of stuff being archived right now. And um, she also wants lots of pictures. She wants like jerseys and all kinds of stuff like this for the online museum, which I have yet to find the time to go through, but apparently other people have, because as you said, she's doing this traveling museum. She's this spring has been going to all kinds of women's rugby events and having a little traveling museum and kind of introducing the history of women's rugby to a lot of youngins who, you know, seemed based on, she's posting some videos from these things, interviewing these people who are looking at this stuff and they seem yeah, all yeah. super excited to have access to, all of this information and all oh, this memorabilia. Great. Yeah. So it's an ongoing project. You know, it's, uh, it seems like it's closer to being off the ground, but I mean, there's just so much stuff out there. Uh, you know, as, as you know, USA rugby was not involved in the initial um, 
the beginnings of women's rugby. So it was sort of self-administered by mm. not me, but women, women in a lot of women from the Chicago area put on the first national championships and all that. Oh, wow. She's got all those, all that documented, all those people, you know, all their files, all kinds of stuff like that. It's funny because uh, it took me a second, but when you mentioned Carrie Heffernan, I was like, it, a little bell went off. I realized it's that same article about the Wyvern tour um there's you know there, there's the bit where the england the former english players who you were competing against were saying how surprised they were to see people lifting weights and just how much work working out was being done and um one of them told a story about how they were shocked that what was it i think it was after a match she said that um that kathy flores decided we want to have a like a 10 mile run after this match <laughs> and um but when they asked Kathy about it, she said, no, 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 that was not me. That was Carrie Heffernan. <laughs> yeah. C Carrie Heffernan was a teammate of mine on Beantown for a long time. And uh, yeah, she was always super, super fit. <laughs> 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 One of those, no body, no, no, no body fat on her. Every time we played the cold game or fingers turned white, you know, one of those people. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, she's, uh, yeah, she's been very involved in women's rugby. Um, since she stopped playing, you know, this museum and archives and all that history of women's rugby is part of what she's working on now. Well, Jan, my friend, this has been simply amazing. I feel like there's there's no way I've gotten to everything. Um, is, is there something I, you know, I skipped over that you were really hoping to get a chance to talk about that I just totally blipped over? Uh, just, I, I guess I have one thing, and that is um, in 19, the, in, in 2016, we had uh, a reunion of the 1991 World Cup oh, wow. squad team, in, um, and it was in Atlanta. There was a sevens tournament going on down there, and I remember it's the same year I had my knees replaced, and I was like, wait, <laughs> when is this? It was like mid, early to mid-April, and I scheduled my surgery for a weekend in February that would give me eight weeks to be able to get on a plane and get down there. And, and it was, um, it was like the first time we'd ever had a reunion. Yeah. And it was, it was wonderful. I mean, not everybody could be there. Some people were, some people were coaching still and it was rugby season. So they couldn't mm. come. And, but overall it was really fantastic. We had, um, we had, you know, a, a nice dinner event and it was just really, really great. And, you know, we had, you know, everybody comparing their, knee replacement surgery scars yeah, and you know all that kind of thing and it was just it was wonderful and since then we've kept uh we've kept in better touch throughout covid we had some zoom things and oh, nice. our, our 30th anniversary happened in 2021 right so we and we couldn't get together so there's yeah. something in the works i think we're trying to figure out whether we can plan something before the 35th to try to have another reunion but it was it was fantastic. And of course, the Hall of Fame induction in 2017 was another opportunity for a lot of us to get together oh, right. um, as well. So so that that was uh, the reunion was fantastic. And and as we uh, uh, older retired rugby players like to say, the older we get, the better we were. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's funny because we were saying that even when we were in our 30s. But now it definitely has a lot more meaning. <laughs> well, the uh, yeah, Jan, it, it is simply a fact that if you hadn't allowed me to bend your ear so often and ask you that probably some of the dumbest questions you've ever come across by somebody interested in rugby, um, you know, I wouldn't be such a fan now. There would be no Scrum of the Earth podcast that you've been nice enough to join me on here right now. So I will always oh, awesome. be indebted to you for that. Awesome. I'm always glad to bring in uh, new people to the sport of rugby. Um. Oh yeah, the um, a thing I, I kind of added here. Um, 
I would really like to at least try to reach out to some other eagles um, that I've been lucky enough to encounter and maybe solicit questions from them about, about you know, um, your experience in the World Cup or your experience as a coach. Um, if I'm able to amass, you know, some good questions from some serious people, do you think you might come back and uh, take a crack at those? Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, Jan Rutkowski, winner of six national championships and a World Cup to boot. Thank you so very much for joining us here today. It has been a joy and privilege. Thank you for taking the time to add your voice to the legion of amazing people who've been kind enough to join me here. Uh, and, you know, if there's any other reason or if you just have any other desire to come back, just let me know that the chair will always be open and waiting for you. That's, that's for sure. All right, Will. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I hope to chat more soon. In the meantime, take care and be well. Thanks. You too. Well, my friends, that does it for this, our 100th episode, and I, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have. We're also getting close to our one-year anniversary, if you can believe it, so I'm, I'm hoping to cook up something, you know, really special for that as well, so please be on the lookout for more info as we roll into July, but until next time, my friends, wherever you are, all over the globe, cheers, talk to you soon, and of course, be well. <laughs>